0: The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts, stocks tracking, interactive charts, and market insights, all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Very good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. This is Squawk Box. Chinese consumer prices rise at their fastest pace in five months as lockdowns in key cities continue to impact manufacturing and supply in the world's second largest economy president biden labels inflation his top economic challenge ahead of today's crucial data which could indicate that u.s price pressures are finally peaking
1: i want every american to know that i'm taking inflation uh, very seriously and it's my top domestic priority
2: the S&P 500 and Nasdaq eking out gains, but the Dow posts its fourth straight negative session. As the billionaire hedge fund investor Leon Cooperman tells CNBC, "We haven't yet seen the lows of the market. The best evidence of a bottom is a company comes out with disappointing earnings, the stock opens up down and closes the day unchanged up. We're not seeing that at all,
1: at all. So I would say the stock market is not yet discounted." the economic slowdown they are experiencing, in my opinion.
3: Finland's foreign minister tells CNBC the country is preparing to submit its application to NATO, possibly as early as next week.
4: We are ready to
2: move as a government forward. And then this discussion, of course, on the NATO membership will come to the parliament and, and starting probably next Monday. But, uh, but then
4: we are, after that, of course, ready to send an application.
0: morning everybody welcome to the program this morning we're going to kick off with inflation it is a big inflation day well at least in terms of the data isn't it But I guess we need to uh, focus on some of the big numbers that we are due to see. The spike in inflation across major economies in the wake of Russia's invasion of Ukraine and the pandemic has left governments and central banks scrambling to dampen price pressures as demand outweighs constrained supply. The US and Germany will publish their latest CPI readings today with some analysts forecasting that inflation may have peaked. Well, Chinese consumer prices rose at their fastest pace in five months in April as lockdowns in Shanghai and Beijing exacerbated supply chain issues. CPI rose by 2.1% from a year earlier, which was above expectations. Annette is joining us to preview the German inflation numbers due in an hour's time. But first, let's get out to Sam with a full breakdown of the Chinese numbers. Sam, good morning.
5: Good morning to you, Jeff. It's interesting because we've been speaking to economists this morning that uh, suggest that certainly the numbers that we got out today should look favorable for the policymakers actually over in China because you mentioned those consumer prices actually rose the most in five months, but they are still largely manageable and contained. They do look fairly subdued, but it was also those producer prices that actually grew at the slowest pace in around a, a year. So we saw them continuing to cool from the month of March despite these lockdowns that we have seen that have been disrupting the supply chains but also off the back of these geopolitical tensions as we know that these high raw material costs off the back of the Ukraine crisis have been filtering through to the Chinese factory gate and this was largely said to be down really to Beijing's efforts now to stabilize these prices but also boost a lot of this production off the back of these uncertainties around the Ukraine crisis so they really look to focus on energy security at the moment of course we do know that they had been doing that before the Ukraine crisis. Beijing has been trying to rein in the prices of these high raw material costs really to prevent any pass-through to the Chinese consumer. Uh, Those efforts uh, certainly seem to be working to some degree, but we have seen some of that upstream price pressure actually filtering through uh, to the Chinese consumer. As I mentioned, Uh, that actually picked up uh, the most in five months, and that was largely down really to those rising energy and also food costs. We do know that China has actually hiked the retail prices of fuel to really reflect the global changes in recent months. And so we really saw those non-food prices rising uh, significantly once again, fuel up around 28%. But as I say, it was also the food prices that we saw rebounding in the month of April, largely down uh, to these logistics challenges and transport to congestion that we have seen in China because of the lockdowns. Of course, we did see things like vegetables jump. Some 24 percent. You've got to remember that in April, we also saw a lot of these concerns about food supplies, particularly in the city of Shanghai, as they were trying to uh, get these uh, food supplies to uh, some 25 million residents that had been largely confined to their homes. And of course, we also saw uh, other cities, people scrambling to the supermarket out of fear of going into lockdown. So that all fed in uh, to that CPI headline number. But of course, there is still a considerable gap in it's important to note between the PPI uh, and the CPI. The CPI, uh, as I say, remains fairly subdued, of course, because uh, we do have those lockdowns certainly weighing on domestic demand. But there were uh, expectations that this would tick up, of course, because of those uh, energy and also food prices. But as I say, uh, with this uh, certainly manageable uh, and contained number, there has been some suggestion uh, that the PBOC will have more wiggle room to try to shore up growth growth, particularly uh, as we have seen that cooling off in the producer prices as well. That consumer inflation uh, still is well below the government target too. So that all looks pretty favourable. Core CPI, of course, which strips out all that volatile food and energy, uh, is still relatively weak compared to other economies around the world. I've seen expectations around 6% for that US core CPI. And so that should also look uh, favourable for the policymakers uh, over in China to manoeuvre to to try to shore up some of that economic growth, guys. Back to you.
2: Sam, thank you very much indeed. Excellent report there. Okay, well here in Europe, over in Germany, the final read on April CPI is forecast to rise by 7.4%, according to Reuters. That is the highest level since 1981. I don't even know if Netta existed in 1981, Netta. Uh, Youth being on your side compared to two people standing here in the studio as well. But just tell us about this conundrum because I know the Bundesbank is as ever banging the drum for a slightly more hawkish policy.
6: Yes, exactly. I mean, let me first of all start with the inflation numbers. We had flash estimates out, and they are showing that mainly that high inflation number is down on, of course, energy prices, which are up by 35% year on year. But still, it's not only energy. We are also looking into a, a huge increase in food prices, the same as in China, but probably with a bit of different reasons. Here in Europe, food prices are especially on the rise because of the disruption um, in, uh, due to the, the war in the Ukraine, but also seasonal aspects are playing into that. So we have food prices on the rise, but we also have services prices on the rise by roughly 3% in the month of April, according to the flash estimate. And that is more and more a- adding meat to the picture that inflation is actually uh, more persistent than previously uh, thought. And that is the line from the Bundesbank, of course. Joachim Nabel stepping out. Yesterday. Yesterday in a speech urging or calling for a rate hike as soon as July and more and more uh, ECB board members are actually in that that corner uh, to advocate for a rate hike as soon as July because inflation is very hot and most likely not peaking in April. We just got that news late yesterday that uh, one third of gas supplies will actually be halted uh, coming through the Ukraine because of a pipeline which no longer can be operated because of the war. And that will have also uh, effects on energy prices going forward here in Germany and elsewhere in Europe. But just, it's not only energy prices. We also have the trade unions, of course, calling for higher wages. We, have, we are seeing first signs of these so-called second-round effects, what the ECB is watching very carefully, because second-round effect means that higher wage prices or higher salaries will also feed into higher prices in all sorts of regions and uh, let alone real estate real estate prices are on the rise despite higher financing costs so it 's a very difficult mixture here on the ground. but one thing is clear that the inflation rate has never been as high as this well never but, but it 's like the, the highest inflation rate as you were saying since one thousand nine hundred and eighty one and some analysts do think that the inflation rate could rise as much as ten percent this year to ten percent at least that 's what the bundesbank has been saying as well. So it's not the end, at least not for Germany, and it's not inflation peaking in the months of April.
3: Annette, thank you very much for that. We are certainly hearing a lot about double-digit inflation here in Europe, but let's just refocus the lens on the United States because already there's a lot of jumpy action around some of the risk assets. Oil has been down, but now back up again in anticipation ahead of this uh, CPI data out of the United States later on today. Investors will be watching this very closely, in particular the pace of inflation, which is expected to have ease from uh, the month in the month of April to 8.1%. This is according to Dow Jones and Voices estimates. That does compare to a four-day Decade high of 8.5% earlier in March. Producer prices for the month of April will be released tomorrow. President Biden has thrown his support behind the Fed as the central bank attempts to tame inflation.
1: The Fed has dual responsibilities. First is achieving maximum employment, and second is stable prices. And while I'll never interfere with the Fed's judgments and decisions or tell them what they have to do, they're independent. They're independent. I believe that inflation is our top economic challenge right now, and I think they do too.
2: Right, well, let's take a look at it. In fact, do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to ask Adam if he's available to just show that inflation wall one more time, because I think this is absolutely fascinating and pivotal of what we are doing in these U.S. markets. thank you very much indeed for that, because this is amazing, because for years... U.S. markets have been able to ignore inflation prints. There's all been this big momentum trade, this rush into growth as well, looking at the fundamentals of the corporates, not necessarily about the U.S. economy. But now it is impossible for investors, no matter what you're investing in, whether it's technology, whether it's growth, whether it's the Russell 2K, which has fallen nearly 30% from its record high, it is impossible to ignore this, impossible to ignore what the Federal Reserve is saying. And why I think this is fascinating, and and bear with me a moment before we get to the markets. Uh, is because we now have a Fed that is talking hawkishly. I think we can all agree that they are fairly hawkish compared to where they've been, but they are not acting hawkishly. And that is the real point here, isn't it? I know that out there you're saying, well, how can he say that? 50 basis points next meeting, 50 basis points the meeting after, another 75 possibly by the end of the year. But but the talk and the action compared with what has happened historically when we've had these kind of levels, there is a gulf between them, the historic, average over the last 50 years uh, of the real uh, rate of um, funds rate compared with the market is actually one percent right one percent positive the current rate with one percent aim on the federal funds rate compared with inflation of 8.5 percent is negative 7.5 percent let's get that into our heads ladies and gentlemen it is negative 7.5 percent that is Stunningly lower than we've seen from volker in the 80s, stunningly lower than we've seen from the likes of Greenspan uh, thereafter as well. So let's not kid ourselves, even if we see a more hawkish Fed for the next few months or so, the next few meetings, we are still compared with historic assumptions and historic levels hugely negative on the Fed Fund's real rate as well. So now the markets are looking at every single inflation print, CPI, PPI, PCE, AHE, you name it, and getting obsessed by it, and perhaps rightly so after all this time as well. This was a useless performance from the Dow if you were looking for a a confirmation rally yesterday. We put on about 500 points to the upside and finished down 85 points. I don't know what the tech strategists are saying, uh, the technical analysis people as well, but I doubt very much that that is a very positive signal. More positivity though was coming out of the NASDAQ, which did manage to draw a line in the sand as well. We saw gains for the likes of Apple up 1%, Intel, Salesforce up a couple of percent. Some of the big titanic companies that will be there after this tech route is over. It will be there uh, after we've seen the growth models finally analyzed properly as well. So fascinating market session I thought yesterday. Uh, in terms of the volumes, which we're looking at for some form of capitulation trade as well, they were higher uh, than the average figures of the last 30 days, but not as high as we saw in the previous session when Jeff and I were looking at them. Let's move on to the treasury market as well, which is showing circa 3% on the 10-year, circa 3% on the five-year, uh, and 3.1 on the 30-year as well. Uh, and fascinating to look actually, as again, as we said yesterday, the 30-year mortgage isn't waiting for the Fed. A couple hundred basis points higher than it was at the tail end of 2021. Can you imagine that as a mortgage holder? You were hoping for X and now you've got over 5%. Quite extraordinary levels as well. Right, dollar crosses as well. It didn't abate yesterday, it continued. Dollar index was up once again, 0.3 of 1%. So hence the sterling pressure remains in place, 123.36. The Euro has found a little bit of a line in the sand for now at 105 as well. Whether there is gonna be an assault on parity, that remains to be seen dollar yen again huge historic multi-decade levels but not higher than we've seen over the last week 130 35 uh, and the dollar yuan Well, the dollar's actually just giving back two tenths of one percent on that as well let's have a look at where there was some brilliant action yesterday uh, in the oil market i mean seriously volatile we saw wti wti closed below $100 a barrel. We saw Brent with a 102 handle, but then it bounced back again. I'll tell you just one thing about inflation and the oil price as well. Americans are now paying for. dollars 37 uh, per gas, uh, gallon of average gasoline in the United States. That is a historic level. So whatever today's print shows, I doubt very much that figure's going down much. Americans are paying per y- annum, per year, uh, around about, uh, what is it now, 67% increase, Karen, in their gasoline bill. That is real inflation, and that's what the Fed's got to be worried about, because that could lead to all kinds of ramifications on price spirals, on wage spirals especially. But we've got a great guest waiting in the wings.
3: Indeed, Dave. Let's talk a little bit more about this tug of war for stocks. And uh, we've got joining us now Salman Ahmed, who is the Global Head of Macro and Strategic Allocation at Fidelity International. Salman, thank you very much for joining us. So we did see a little bit of action to the upside on some of these major indices yesterday. And it's just worth noting that individual investors are stepping back into the markets. Some stats are $114 billion plowed into US stock markets through to March from those individual investors. But this is in contrast to what large investors are doing Big institutions like Fidelity that are much more cautious at this stage. Are small investors wrong at this point to be stepping into the market trying to pick up value?
4: Uh, good morning, Karen. I think the overall macro environment is is very hostile, uh, and 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 the central banks are turning hostile. And I do um, uh, agree with Steve, uh, although uh, they are. Talking hawkish, the actions are so far not matching them. But having said that, the pressure is on, and 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 we have seen the system come under uh, come under pressure. Even if real rates are still quite negative, and it's just the delta of that real rate which is creating the all sorts of. Problems for, uh, uh, problems for, for example, tech stocks and, and growth style in, in, in particular. So all in all, this is a macro-volatile situation and we remain cautious and this is something which we, uh, we will continue to do so unless until there's a clear cut sign that inflation is on a downward trajectory and, and, and the Fed and the key central banks have taken a sizable step towards uh, bringing inflation down uh, towards more manageable levels.
3: It seems to be a no win for central banks if they're too dovish, then investors are closely watching what they call runaway inflation, those unanchored expectations. But if they are too hawkish, then there are concerns now for growth, whether we see monetary policy just really tighten too far and deliver that hard landing that some of the market are worried about. Does that mean that it's no win for central banks, that it's just no win for risk assets at this point?
4: They are. Uh, this is a very narrow path, and in terms of the balancing uh, the key central banks are doing, uh, the record of Fed, in particular, of generating soft landings is, is quite rare. In fact, the last soft landing they were able to engineer, or in fact, they claim that they, they engineered was in 2018, when uh, Chair Powell famously made a U-turn uh, once uh, equity prices came under pressure. But now inflation is in a very different world. Uh, we are no longer in 1%, 2% handle. We are at 8% handle. So that put, or that fa- famous put, which all investors, including institution investors or individual investors, focus on, is far out of the money. So it's 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 a it's a problem uh, a pathway right now for risky assets. And and some of the froth has come out for some of those bubbly names. But overall, it's still a very problematic path unless until there is a clear cut. Uh, way that inflation comes down without doing too much damage to growth. Otherwise, we have a recession if the Fed actually does what it's claiming that it will do.
0: Having said all of that, Salman, as I look at your uh, analysis here, you're overweight US equities uh, whilst underweight in Europe, underweight Japan, and uh, clearly you see some challenges uh, more broadly in credit. Um, Just give us the line on the overweight on U.S. equities right now, because it is the market that appears to have seen the largest declines year to date. Why positive?
4: Sure, Jeff. So basically, overall, our equity stance is underweight. So overall, that block is, uh, uh, is, is significantly below our benchmark levels. But within that block, We have some regional uh, distributions and the overweight in U.S. you see is actually all x tech more so on value styles. While Europe, we think, uh, is in the center of the storm, we think the gas disruptions are likely to worsen. Just to give you an estimate that if there is a significant gas disruption, which continues, you're looking at GDP decline of four percentage point, for example, in Germany. So that's a huge shock to some of those industrial names. And then Japan, with this exposure to the global cycle. So this is a more of a reflection within regions of where we see, uh, uh, see outperformance uh, again, uh, between different, amongst different countries. But overall, we are underweight equities and we are underweight credit. So we do not like risky assets at this stage.
0: Risk here of being too negative.
4: Uh, so uh, we are obviously watching the Fed and and the key central banks very very carefully. But we do think this is a regime shift, and the put is out of the money compared to our the previous regimes we have been in. Unless and until there is a marked clear evidence that inflation is coming back uh, into sensible ranges, it doesn't have to go towards two percent uh, or or reach two percent very very quickly. But sensible ranges, we think uh, the cautious stance uh, uh, remains our. Are, are setting uh, till value appears and we think the, the Fed port is coming near the money.
2: Salman, so, um, uh, lovely to see you, my friend. Um, I think you are being quite brave on this emerging market call as well. I need to know why you think there is increasing value in EM equities. There is a lot of evidence that people are very concerned and actually pulling money out of a lot of EM um, Uh, assets, corporate bonds, equities at the moment because they're concerned about history rhyming or repeating itself. And we know what happens when the dollar rallies and what that means for refunding for heavily indebted companies
4: in emerging markets. Uh, Hi, Steve. Uh, So Certainly, uh, this is, of course, the the dollar, the king dollar, if you will, uh, has uh, contributed to a significant tightening in financial conditions. But we are being very, uh, or trying to be very specific or or selective in terms of our approach on emerging markets. We are focusing on commodity exporters. Uh, So LATAM, uh, for example, which historically last year had a very bad year uh, because of multiple factors. So we are focused on that through capturing some value there. We are uh, also focused on countries which will potentially see a rebound uh, from some COVID. Let's not forget that COVID is still very, very active in in, in some parts of Asia, and then that reopening impulse can come through. It can, in the short term, get overwhelmed by what we are seeing in the global macro space and how it translates into global risk premium, which is under pressure, uh, and then, of course, the rise in dollar, as you rightly pointed out. But from a more longer term perspective, let's say 12 months onwards, we are trying to capture some of those opportunities, especially from the commodity side of things, because we think that commodity prices are likely to remain higher for longer here.
3: Salman, thank you very much for joining us this morning. Salman Armand with us, the Global Head of Macro and Strategic Allocation at Fidelity International. Now, as we talk about inflation, uh, there has been a view out there in the markets that a lot of uh, consumers have pent up savings still, which will shield them. But On that note, as we talk about rising prices, let's get out to Rosanna for more on what's coming up after the break. Good morning, Rosanna.
1: Good morning, Karen. Yeah, we're stood here at Britain's busiest airport, one of the busiest international airports in the world as well. Heathrow talking about the resumption in international travel. It's come back with a boom, but that does mean issues. So for plane makers, for jet fuel prices, for airlines and for airports, we'll be here throughout the morning. We'll break it all down after the break.
0: The chairman of the world's largest long-haul carrier, Emirates Airlines, has told CNBC he expects the company to return to pre-COVID passenger and traffic levels by the end of the year. Dan caught up with Sheikh Ahmed Al Maktoum in Dubai and asked him how soaring fuel prices are impacting the carrier and whether he sees costs peaking anytime soon. When we talk about the the cost of fuel, that's one of the the areas, especially with the job, political uh, and what's happening really around the, the world it's very difficult to establish where that price will, will stop or how far it will be going down and that really affect the, the airline business in, in, a, uh, in a big uh, way and also we shouldn't really forget the supply chain I mean many countries today when we talk about they are coming back but they are slowly they find difficulty really attracting talent manpower Uh, You know, and this is some of the things that we needed to be uh, be, before COVID the way it, it used to be. Well, fuel prices are continuing to surge with costs set to remain volatile as summer travel picks up. Alongside the additional fuel prices, we've got the challenge of airlines trying to hire back staff as well. Let's get out to Rosanna, who joins us from Heathrow with more on the woes for the travel sector. Rosanna.
1: Yeah, good morning, Jeff. It's going to be uh, very noisy in a moment. We've got plenty of planes landing here this morning at Britain's busiest airport, one of the busiest international airports in the world. In fact, Singapore Airlines has come to pick me up take me back to Singapore. <laughs> you talked there about jet I was listening to you guys in the first uh, half hour of the show. They're talking about higher gasoline prices in the U.S. Well, that has translated to jet fuel as well. Currently, a barrel of jet fuel as of last week is around $176 a barrel. That's around 146% higher per a year ago but in the US market it's 178% higher per barrel of jet fuel and that of course gets passed down into flight ticket prices. Now what's all this about? Well of course it's the enormous resumption in travel demand. Airline bosses have been warning this the minute we came out of the pandemic people would want to get back in the air and that is what we've been seeing. In fact Delta Airlines chief executive talking to the FT last week and saying that the Easter period was the busiest travel period for booking flights in Delta's history and that's just a taste of what's to come in the summer as well. So it's really not a case of just turning the spigot back on, as we've seen so for so many industries as we come out of the coronavirus pandemic. For example, jet fuel refineries, they've kind of modified a lot of their operations to be pivoted more towards diesel, and now they're having to pivot back again. Well, what else is feeling that? makers, airlines and airports. makers we've been talking a lot about in the last few weeks. Airbus, of course, pulling ahead of Boeing in recent weeks in terms of ramping up its A320 production, hoping to hit 75 Models per month of that single aisle body plane uh, by 2025, which will be a new record for that company. Also, that means labour market job creation. Great news in the plane maker space. Airbus saying they've added 6,000 jobs globally. Huge investment in existing facilities, especially here in the UK. £100 million being ploughed into a facility in Wales. A few hundred jobs added there. Not such good news for Boeing at the moment, of course. Uh, elsewhere, Airlines, of course, Steve, we're thinking about those you mentioned there, the furloughed staff, how do you then rehire those? And at the airports, a lot of paperwork hassles still at the check-in desk. You still need a PCR test to go to the US. Here in
3: Europe, it's a little easier.
0: Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe
2: Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com.
3: Or join us again on this show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.